0: Hello church, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is for you right now. I hope everyone is doing well and finding peace from God during this season that we're in. This week we are going to look at another story in scripture that I hope we can draw from and find some wisdom for this season that we're living in right now. So this story has been on my heart for some weeks now, and I would like to just share with you some of the thoughts that I've had relating to how we can draw from this story. So we're reading in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah. So Noah is someone who comes to my mind often in seasons of waiting, because I'm just very aware of how much waiting took place in this story for Noah and his family. Um, but it's been very striking to me to read this story lately and to draw parallels between his experience, though it's not the same as ours, but to find parallels in his experience of waiting and isolation during this crazy flood that I think we can draw from. So let me remind us of where we're at in this story, and then I would love to share four main points, four ways that we can look to Noah for inspiration and leave us with some some questions to think about on our own. So we're in Genesis chapter 6, and yeah, chapter 5, they've just recounted the... Generations and Adam's descendants, all the way to Noah. So here we are, chapter 6, verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of land of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. Verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So then we see here Noah's story that God says Noah was righteous. He was blameless. He walked with God. God chooses Noah in this particular situation to save him, to save his family, to save mankind tells Noah that he is going to flood the earth, that Noah needs to build an ark. He gives him these specific instructions. The ark is for you and your sons, your wives, your sons' wives. It's for the animals. He tells them to store up food. And we know that God then floods the earth 40 days and 40 nights of rain, lots of waiting for these floodwaters to recede And we know eventually, though, that God brings Noah and his family through this flood. Everything else is destroyed, but he brings them out. He brings them out of the ark and makes a covenant with Noah and his family. So this is the story we're going to be looking at today or this week. I encourage you to read it in its fullness and to really ask God to speak to you personally through this story as I feel he's done for me and what yeah, what speaks to you as you read this story in its fullness. But I have four things that I'd love to share, four ways that I believe we can look to Noah for inspiration through his story and his experience with the flood and the ark and his covenant with the Lord. So first we see that Noah is obedient. We know this from the writer telling us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, telling us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So we see that he's righteous, he's blameless, he's obedient. We see this also just in the ways that he actually does the things that God commands him to do. So Noah hears the voice of God. He's able to hear God speaking to him. He's able to discern what the Lord is saying to him. Chapter 6, God tells him, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14, he says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make the ark. He gives him specific instructions, dimensions, how to make it, put a roof and a door in the side and lower second third decks and he tells him for behold verse 17 i will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die but god explains to him i will make a covenant with you your sons your wife your son's wives you shall bring uh every living creature or two of every living creature and Take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. God tells him what to do. 6 verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Again, 7 verse 5, it says, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So it might seem like a simple thing, but I think it's really profound and beautiful that we see here that Noah is obedient. He can hear God speaking. He can hear the Lord commanding him, and he just simply does as God asks him to do. I'm sure this might have been maybe a surprising command from God, and Noah didn't have the full picture, the full story, but just follows and obeys. Second, I see here that Noah is faithful, and he's patient in the waiting and the isolation I know I mentioned already 40 days and 40 nights of rain. I I wonder that this number is maybe what comes to mind for a lot of people with this story. We know that 40 days and 40 nights is in scripture many, many times. And so we do see that here in chapter 7. It says rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. That's in verse 12. So Noah has built this ark. He's brought his family and animals and the food onto this ark in time so that they can escape the waters of the flood. And rain falls for 40 days and 40 nights. But let's not lose track here. Let's not forget that this is a much longer season than just 40 days and 40 nights. It is a season of isolation. We see chapter 6, verse 16. It says, the Lord shut him in. So they are on this ark. They are shut inside. And verse 17, it says, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures, Obviously, a very intense season of isolation, they are shut in the ark. And while they're isolated, they're completely surrounded by the destruction and death of the of the earth around them. All these things dying waters covering the mountains and beyond. And just that verse 23 says only Noah was left and those who are with him in the ark just feels man, like this is intense. In verse 24, the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So we have 40 days and 40 nights of rain, but the waters are prevailing. And we continue reading in chapter 8, and we see at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. The waters had started to lessen and decrease. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains But then verse 5 says, and the waters continued to abate. They continued to recede and lessen until the 10th month. So we're talking maybe three more months here. And then it's at this point, 40 more days, perhaps, verse 6, where then Noah starts to kind of assess the state of the earth. He starts to send out birds to see if the waters have really receded. He sends out a dove. The dove comes back. There's clearly still water upon the face of the earth. He waits seven more days, he sends out a dove again, and it comes back this time with a freshly plucked olive leaf. So we see it come back with this this symbol, this um, evidence of life, and no one knows at that point, verse 11 in chapter 8, that the waters had subsided from the earth. He waits another seven days, though, sends forth the dove again, and this time she does not return, and he knows that the waters have the waters have receded. But all this to say, this is a long season. And we see then in verse 14, it says in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. But if we go back to chapter seven, which is where we see the flood begin, the flood begins, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So this mentions that the flood begins in the second month on the 17th day of the month. And we see that the earth had dried out in the second month on the 27th day of the month. So we see this flood waters receding, all of it being isolated and shut in the ark. This is a year and some, a little more than a year for Noah and his family. So, as I read this, I was just struck and reminded that this is a long season of waiting and isolation for Noah and his family. There's death and destruction happening outside of the ark completely surrounding them. But he, I believe, is faithful and patient in this season. Now, we don't see or read here the details of day-to-day life of what this looked like for them on the ark for a year in this season of isolation, but I think it's safe to say that Noah was faithful in the waiting, and we see in verse 15 of chapter 8, God says to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. He tells them to bring the animals out. Verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So we see Noah does his own assessment. He sends out the dove. He sees that that the waters are gone. But we still see God tells Noah, now you may leave the ark. And that's when his family leaves. So I believe we see here a picture of faith and patience in quite an intense season. Third, we see here that Noah is quick to praise God. They leave the ark, and then we see chapter 8, verse 20, "...then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar." So the very first thing that Noah does when he and his family get off this ark after a year is build an altar to the Lord. Noah builds an altar to the Lord and offers these sacrifices to him. And I yeah, I don't think that this should be passed over in this story of his. I think it's a beautiful picture of his heart and really seeing his heart for the Lord, perhaps even his priorities here, and that the very... St- first thing he does is to praise God, to offer sacrifices to him. And I think it begs plenty of questions there for ourselves of what, where's our heart and our our first instinct uh, coming out of a season of waiting and isolation and struggle and suffering and destruction and salvation and all those things mixed in one. What's, what's our instinct to do first? Is it to praise God first? And lastly, the fourth thing I want to point out that I've seen in this story of Noah is that he's prepared. I think we see this in two ways. Noah is prepared spiritually, like we've already looked at and mentioned. Noah is a faithful man. He's a righteous man. He walked with God. So I believe he's spiritually prepared for this season of trial and the season of hardship that God is, is allowing him to endure. But also he's physically prepared. He heard God tell him to do this, to make an ark, that him and his family would be prepared to escape the floodwaters that God was bringing to the earth. So he's physically prepared. He has built the ark just as God told him to, and we see that it brings him through this season, that this preparation, this spiritual preparation and physical preparation brings him and his family through this season, safely, successfully, faithfully, So he's prepared. God has gone before him in this. And for us, it makes me think of um, how are are we prepared? Are we remembering that God has gone before us in everything and that he has prepared us? And also, Pastor Dave has likely mentioned this in recent weeks, but I believe that God has been preparing our church for this season for some years now. a few years now we've been having these larger conversations about church and what does it mean to be God's church and church is not a building church is the people and the body of Christ and it just feels like God has been preparing us for this season that we're in now so I see a parallel there with Noah being prepared and us being prepared and do we see that do we recognize that do we see that God has been faithful to us in that So these are the four things that I would just love to share with us and to leave us with as we think and look to Noah for some inspiration here in this season that he endured and he went through. So just some questions for us to be thinking about as we consider his story and consider this season that we're in. Are we being obedient? Are we hearing the voice of God? Are we able to? Are we carving out that space in our minds and in our hearts and in our days to be hearing from God so that we can be obedient to him? Are we being faithful and patient in this isolation and waiting that we are in? I think that we are, as with a flood, we are just well aware that we are not in control. We don't determine when the waiting ends. We don't determine when the isolation ends. We are just not in control. But are we being faithful and are we being patient in that and holding fast to God? Are we quick to praise God because he's been so good to us? And not to say that there are not trials or suffering or griefs or losses right now, but are we quick to praise God simply because he's God? He is still God and He is still good. What is the first thing that we will do as circumstances around us change and loosen? Will we praise God first and foremost? Is that our instinct? Is that where we go first? Are we resting in the truth that God has prepared us for this, that He has gone before us? And do we have a solid foundation in Christ? this story probably just because we're talking about a flood here it makes me think of at the end of the sermon in the mount on the mount where Jesus starts talking about us building a house on a solid foundation this metaphor the story of building a house on a solid foundation and the waters will come and the winds but the house will still stand because it's built on a on the rock and I'll go to that just quickly. In Matthew, Jesus. This is the the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, "Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock." And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So obviously we're not enduring a physical flood like Noah and his family but I really believe there's a metaphor there and we're we're enduring a Metaphorical flood, the floodwaters have risen around us. And I think when that happens, we can see where our foundation lies. Like Jesus explained there when the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, do we still stand? Are you finding that your foundation is on Christ, strong and able to withhold this season? For however long this season is? Or are you finding your foundation is perhaps built on something else that resembles something more like sand, money, job security, people? Where is our foundation? Lastly, we can't forget that Noah's story here is not complete without the covenant the covenant that God makes between him and Noah at the end. So in chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 8, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I established my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh." And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So let's remember this. Let's remember this covenant here that God has made and the other covenants God has made with his people, with his children. Let's remember the new covenant that God brought through Jesus on the cross for us, for his children. Let's remember God's promises to us and the hope that we have in the resurrection and the life to still come. And and let's be praying for an end. Let's be praying for the next season I think personally as I've read this story I've, I've thought of this imagery of Noah sending the dove out and the dove comes back with this olive branch and I've found myself praying to God where is our olive branch we can't stay in this forever and I think that's true I don't believe this season is meant to last it just feels long Um, so let's be praying for an end, but let's remember that we're not in control and God is with us just as he was with Noah in this season of waiting and isolation. And we may not be in control of its beginning or its end, but God, God is. So may we hold fast to God. May we be inspired by Noah, by this man who endured a hard, long season, of waiting and destruction and isolation. And may we remember that our God is faithful to his promises.
1: Amen.